Tonight, we're going to begin um, a series entitled, She Did What? And uh, exactly, exactly, exactly. So for the next four weeks, we're going to look at some of the amazing women of the Bible and explore what we can learn from them and how we can apply that to our lives. I do have to tell you a disclaimer. See, we may have shared this process with you before, but when we plan out these series, what we're going to teach on, uh, Brad and I sit together and we spend an afternoon or... uh, a morning or a day, however long it takes, and we sit and we just, we figure out what it is that God would have us to teach the congregation. And then we put our creative juices to to work and we figure out how can we do that with an appealing way and with something catchy. And so our catchy title for this series was going to emphasize the bad girls of the Bible, but that got vetoed by the only female vote in the room, but I won't tell you her name because she runs our slides. So that wouldn't be nice. So I won't do that. But if you want to prepare uh, to read with me this morning, if you, or this evening, I guess, if you want to turn in your Bible to Joshua, the second chapter. Uh, Joshua's in the Old Testament. Uh, the sixth chapter, I believe, right after Deuteronomy. I could be wrong. Don't count. Just turn. But I believe it's Joshua, uh, Joshua chapter two. We'll get there in a little while. But before we do, let me set the scene. So here we are. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about the woman who we're going to talk about this evening. It seems as though the only account of her actually is in Joshua 2. And here we're introduced to our character, the woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab lived in the city of Jericho. And in fact, the scriptures tell us that her house was built on the wall that surrounded Jericho for protection. This is an important, important point. You need to be able to visualize this. If you visualize this big wall going around the entire city, her house overlooks the outside of this wall. And so looking out the window, Rahab was able to see the travelers who came and went from the city. So she could look out this window and she'd see them long before they ever entered the gates. And this was good for business, as it were, because she could see the young men who were coming And if she eyed some handsome young man down, getting ready to enter the gate, she could just capture his attention by leaning out the window and prettying herself up and doing all of those things, kind of leaning out and and capturing his attention. Right. See, See, Rahab couldn't have asked for a better place to live in this city because that gave her an advantage. Because her profession, if you will, was that of a prostitute. She was a woman who would sell her body for the pleasure of men. And by living on the outskirts of this town, she was able to capture their attention before they ever got into the town. And see, when these men had traveled great distances by foot, of course, when they traveled these distances um, and they came to this walled city, she would just pretty herself up, lean out the window and call down to them. Immediately, I have to question, how many hearts do you think she had broken in this profession? How many families had she torn apart and marriages had she ruined? How many homes do you suppose she had destroyed? All throughout the Bible, whenever you read the name Rahab, there's always these parentheses or these, there's a word for it. And I can't think of what it's called, but when you set something off in commas next to it, it always says Rahab, the prostitute. And that's how she's always remembered. She will always be remembered for who she once was instead of perhaps whom she became. 
Tonight, I want us to look. Rahab is twice celebrated in the New Testament. That's a long ways off from the time in which she lived. But she's celebrated in the New Testament as a great believer and someone of great faith. First, we read about her in Hebrews 11, where she's listed in the, in the, the hall of faith, if you will. And uh, then again, in uh, James uh, chapter 2, verse 25, we read of her faith there as well and her good works. And although this woman will probably be remembered, as I said, for who she once was, she, she really became someone whom I think we, sh- we should study because of her faith. She rewrote her future in one day by faith. So let me set the scene leading into Joshua 2. Rahab's story is, is located in the, in the book of Joshua is right in the middle of the biblical account of the launch of Israel's great campaign to conquer the promised land of Canaan. So if you, uh, if you don't remember your Old Testament history, the Israelites are camped out by the Jordan River waiting for the orders to cross the river and take possession of land that they had been waiting a very long time for, land that they had been promised some 400 years ago. They had just come from wandering in the desert for 40 years because their fathers had refused to obey. They refused to believe in the God who had freed them from the slavery they once, they once enjoyed. Joshua, who is their new leader, then sends in two spies. And he sends in spies for the planning of his strategy of how he's going to take over the city. And that's where we pick up our stories in Joshua 2. We're going to read a great deal this evening. I apologize for that, but I think it's important uh, to read the story uh, in the scripture. So in Joshua 2, you can read along with me if you want. I'm reading from the NIV, and if it works, that'll be on the screen. So in Joshua 2, it says this. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Chittim. Look, go over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of the prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate... The men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up to them. But truthfully, she had taken them up to the roof and had hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Man, the lighting's really bad up here. I apologize. Verse 8 says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all of you that live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings Sihon and Og, the king of the Amorites east of Jordan. Who, com- who you completely destroyed. We heard of it. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is in heaven above and on the earth below. 
Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she had lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills, for the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath that you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and your brother and all of your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you, tell us, if, if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And then she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went to the hills and stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into your hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. That's a lot to take in. It's a lot of scripture. But I wanted to read that tonight because it kind of sets the biblical account for what we're going to dive into. The first question that comes to my mind when I read that passage is probably yours. Way back early on, we read that Joshua sent them out. He says, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. And in verse 3, it says this, so they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. So the first question that comes to my mind is, why did these spies end up in the house of a prostitute? If we disregard maybe some of the more obvious and immoral answers to that question... I think there's some tactical reasons as well. See, as we said, her house was located on the outside of the wall, so it would have been easy to make a quick escape. Likewise, a house of a prostitute is somewhere that would have had frequent traffic, be somewhere where a lot of visitors would have been. And so a lot of information was exchanged. A lot of things were told in this house. She would know of a lot of information and was not likely to ask any questions in return. So I believe that it truly was more of a tactical reason for stopping there. So there's three lessons. There's actually several lessons I think we can take uh, from this passage, but there's three of them I want us to really zero in on tonight. The first thing that we learn from Rahab is that God often uses people with simple faith to accomplish his great purposes. See, her faith was based on who God is and not who she is. Her faith was based on who her God is and not on who she is. In verse 9, it said that she said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Seas when you came out of Egypt. We've heard what you did to the kings that you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is in heaven and on the earth below. Let's think for just a minute about what would have been going through Rahab's mind when these spies entered her home. When she found out who they were and whose they were and where they were from. We already know, as verse 9 just told us, that the city was trembling in fear of these people. They They were living with this known fear that the Israelites may come knocking on their doorstep at any moment. And yet it seems as though Rahab wasted no time in welcoming herself to them. She quickly hides them. She takes these people in and hides them from being arrested. Perhaps she saw them as her chance for escape. See, what is important to recognize in this story is the fact that Rahab believed that Jericho was doomed. It wasn't a matter of of whether the Israelites were going to come. It simply was a matter of when they were going to come. And that Rahab believed that it was doomed. She was placing everything she had at risk for two complete strangers who had showed up in the middle of the day. These spies weren't from a land that was known to her or a people that was known to her. All that she had ever heard was stories. She didn't know how these men were going to help her in any way. By hiding them and aiding in their escape, she had quickly and clearly drew her lines of allegiance. See, if any of these people of Jericho find out what she had done, then Rahab could lose everything. Her life, her family, everything. And yet Rahab believed that if she didn't side with the Israelites and their God, then she would definitely lose everything. And therein kind of lies the crux of this story, if you will. Rahab wasn't trusting in these spies, these men, these humans for her salvation. Instead, she was trusting in the God of these spies. That's what's interesting about Rahab. This story interests me because it's, she's not just a prostitute, as the scriptures describe her, but she's a prostitu- prostitute who proclaims a faith in a God that at this point she knew very little, if not nothing, about. Verse 12 illustrates that when it says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my fam- family because I have shown kindness to you. Everything that Rahab had heard reinforced the fact that the God of the Israelites does what he says he will do. It was her hope that if she could somehow come under the protection of his people, that she would escape the coming destruction of her city. So Rahab knew that there was only one thing that she could obtain that would, that would protect her from this destruction. And so she did. She risked everything. In order, in order to have faith in God, Rahab had to lose faith in everything else. Hear that. In order to have faith in God, she had to lose faith in everything else. She placed her trust, again, not in these two men, but in the God of these two men. Rahab could have turned the spies in and then benefited from the reward that she would have been paid for capturing them. She could have discounted the stories that she had heard from the Israelites and their God. But Rahab based her faith not on who she was, but instead on who her God was. The God who says, who does what he says he will do, who keeps his promises, and who protects and saves his people. Do we believe in that God today, church? 
In doing so, Rahab willingly surrendered everything that she had to the mercy of their God. And this church is why Rahab was honored so much later in the New Testament. For this is the kind of faith that moves the very heart of God. When a person surrenders everything, places everything that they know, everything that they love, everything that they trust in on the line for the mercy of God. When a person willingly trusts God with their life, not trying to control it in any way, taking their hands completely out of the situation, then God marvels and rewards this faith. The kind of faith that the scriptures tell us can move even the mountains. I believe that there are many Christians, and maybe some of us here this evening, who are not experiencing the abundant life that the scriptures talk about in John 10. Jesus talks in John 10 about a life, in fact, It says that even though you do not believe in me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Because their faith is still based on who they are. A lot of us don't experience this abundant life because our faith is based on us rather than on who Jesus Christ is, who God is, and who the Holy Spirit is. And oh yes, a lot of us say that we believe in Jesus, perhaps even as our Savior, But we still don't trust him with our lives. Rahab not only believed that the Israelites were coming to conquer and to destroy Jericho, but she also believed that God would fulfill what he told his people he would do. She placed her trust in the very same God and had faith that she could place her life in his hands. It's a bold move by someone living in such a, a blatant sin. So the second thing that I think we can learn from the story of Rahab this evening is that her trust in God arose out of what she had heard from him, of him, not things that she had witnessed or seen herself. Faith by things heard but not seen. In verse 8, she tells us that, that everyone in the city was trembling with fear and was frightened by the presence of the Israelites. In verse 9, we read that We need better lighting. In verse 9, we read this. And and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in the fear of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. We have heard of these things. Rahab did not personally experience any of the stories that that she's talking about here. She hadn't seen any of it directly. She didn't even know it with her own eyes, for it had happened so many years ago. Personally, she knows nothing about God and had no idea of his teachings, yet she was willing to trust him. As a logical person, I can sort of draw a correlation as to how she may have come to this. See, she may have derived at such a conclusion on things she had not seen because she was able to put two and two together. If I had heard these stories, I may draw the conclusion that no matter what anyone says, there is no way that the Israelites could have gotten this far on their journey and lived so long in the desert by... Ah, thank you, Holly. Check that out. Thank you, Bill. There's... 
But no, simply, she could have drawn the correlation that there is no way these people could have wandered in the desert for 40 years, that they could have persevered for 400 years if there wasn't a God who was with them. They had to have God, a powerful God, on their side. The story is told at the end of uh, World War II in Germany that the Allied forces were searching farmhouses. They're looking for snipers after the war. At one abandoned house that was, that was nearly just a heap of, of rubble, searchers with, with flashlights were going through the house and they found their way into the basement that had survived. There on the crumbling wall, a victim of the Holocaust had scratched a, a star of David. And beneath it, in rough lettering, this message was read. I believe in the sun, even when it does not shine. I believe in love, even when it is not shown. And I believe in God, even when he does not speak. The kind of faith that Rahab had, and the kind of faith that this unknown victim of the Holocaust had, is the kind of faith that gives rise to hope, no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in. It's the kind of faith that lifts you up and carries you through the darkest and the bleakest times of our lives. For it is during these times that it isn't always easy to see the light. It's not always easy to feel the love, and it certainly isn't always easy to hear that voice of God. But that doesn't mean that he isn't there. I believe in the sun, even when it does not shine. I believe in love, even when it is not shown. And I believe in God, even when he cannot be heard. That's why Jesus records in John The 20th chapter, verse 29, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We are a blessed people, as Rahab was, because our faith allows us to believe in what our eyes have not seen. In what our eyes are currently not seeing. When you are able to trust God because of things that we have only heard of him, because of the stories, because of the miracles that were recorded in John 10, not necessarily because of the personal experiences that we've had. And so back in our story, she takes in these two men. They've come to spy on this land. She takes them into into her home in in exchange for keeping uh, their secret, her family's life, is promised protection. The men agree to do this on two conditions, however. As the scriptures told us, she must keep a red cord hanging out the window on the city wall. And secondly, she must get her father, her mother, her brother, and her entire family all in her house. And the scriptures lead me to believe that that this is families with families, brothers and sisters with children, coming all into one house before this conquest of the city takes place. If any of them were out in the open, the story tells us, their blood would be on their own hands. Now, I don't know about your guys' family. I love my family dearly. There's very few occasions I want all of them in my house, and there's even fewer occasions that it's possible to get them all there. But certainly, I, I can only imagine how difficult it would be to get my entire family into the house of a prostitute, even if it was family. For all we know, these could have been fine, respectable citizens. Maybe the rest of her family were the most outstanding citizens of the whole city. 
How are we going to get them to stay in a home with a prostitute for an unknown amount of time? What would the neighbors think? Well, the men use this red cord. They sneak out the window and they head out to escape into the night. But if you notice, they didn't give her any deadline. They didn't give her a date or a sign as to when this conquest was going to take place. They did not tell her when the battle would begin or when they would return. All they gave her was their word. And that was enough for her. That faith was enough for her. And because of that, God rewards Rahab as one of the great women of faith. Her faith was based on things that she had heard rather than things that she had only seen. The third lesson, the final lesson I want us to explore this evening, and the third thing that we can learn from this prostitute is that her faith led to action. It's one thing to just proclaim a faith. It's another thing to put that faith into action. In James 2.25 that I spoke of earlier, Rahab is recognized for her faith where it records that in the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Rahab's faith stood out because it was motivating her to actually do something. But we can need to remember something very important here, and that is that her faith was in God, not in these spies, not in their people, or not in anyone else. It was in God. So what was the action that she took? There's three actions that Rahab took. The first is found in Joshua 2, verses 4 through 6. The first thing that she did was hide the spies. It was the first bit of action. And in Joshua, 4, or Joshua 2, verse 4, it says this, But the woman had taken two men and hidden them. She said to the men, The men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. She had hidden the spies because they were actually on her roof. The second step, the second leap of action, if you will, of Rahab was that she identified with God's people. Joshua 2 verse 11 says that when she had heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is in heaven above and on earth below. Joshua 2 verse 18 says, unless we enter the land, you you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and your mother and your entire family into your house, You will not be saved. Joshua 2, verse 21, she says, Agreed, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And then she tied the scarlet cord in the window as per their agreement. This is the way that she identified with God's people. It was by her confession that she believed in the Lord and by hanging that scarlet cord in her window. She identified with God's people. So first she hid the spies. Second, she identified with God's people. And finally, she worked for the salvation of her relatives and her family. Notice that her faith was not selfish. Would have been very easy for her. And we don't know what her relationship was like with her family. We can, we can draw assumptions because of, because of her desire to save them. But we, we don't know anything. She could have been selfish, but instead she was selfless. She was not only concerned for her own salvation, but she worked to obtain the salvation of her family as well. Church, that's the calling that's on our life. That's what it means to put your faith into action. And those of you who have tried to to share your faith with your family, 
know exactly how hard and difficult that can be. As difficult, perhaps, as trying to get your entire family to reside in the home of a prostitute. To put your faith into action. This is the nature of faith or trust that we and that she did place in God. When someone trusts God and abandons their lives to his mercy, then God opens our eyes and our hearts to those around us who need salvation and need that faith as well. To illustrate faith, the story goes that there was a man walking along a path, not paying much attention to where he was going. Suddenly he slipped and he fell over the edge of this cliff. And as he fell, he reached up and he grabbed a branch, saving himself that was growing from the edge of the cliff. Realizing that he couldn't hang on there for very long, he began to call for help. He said, man, hello, is anyone up there? And this voice answered back, yes, yes, I'm here. And the man says, well, who's that? And the voice says, I am God. And he cries out, he says, Lord, help me. And the voice answers, well, do you trust me? The man says, I trust you completely, Lord. My faith is in you. And God, as I imagine he would, said, good. Let go of the branch. And the man said, what? What? Come again? And the voice said, let go of the branch. And then there was this long pause, and the man answers, Is there anyone else up there? <laughs> See, sometimes our faith in God is easy to proclaim, but not so easy to put in action. Sometimes we hesitate to have a faith in God because we're afraid of what he might tell us to do. He might tell us to let go of the branch. He might tell us to let go of the very thing that we think is saving our lives. And in refusing to be faithful as the Israelites had, as their fathers had, we may end up wandering in the desert that we call life for some 40 or more years. What God tells us to do and what the world tells us to do are often, almost always, two completely different things. Faith is knowing that when we call out to God, he will answer. Putting that faith into action is doing what he answers and tells us to do. And this is exactly what we see Rahab, the prostitute, illustrate for us. Based on stories that she had only heard and not seen, she hid two spies that arrived at her house. She identified with God's people and formed an alliance with them. And she worked for the salvation of her family by putting her faith into action. So there's three things this evening that we learn from a prostitute that I think we should apply to our lives. The first is that her faith was based on who she was, not based on who she was, but rather who her God was. Second, her trust in God arose out of what she had heard about him and not what she had seen. John 20. And third, her faith led her to action. It's interesting to me to note that Rahab is one of two women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. If you read in Matthew uh, 1, 5, I think, in, in the beginning parts of Matthew, the genealogy, you notice there's only the two women noticed, noted in that genealogy. And Rahab 
a former prostitute is one of them. Can you imagine this? She's listed as an ancestor of Jesus. And then again, she's praised twice in the New Testament. Once in James, once in Hebrew. A woman who didn't even initially belong to God's people. A woman that initially belonged to the people that God had told the Israelites to destroy in their conquest for their promised land is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. And yet, the same woman received so much honor among God's people and in the scriptures because of her faith, because of her trust, and because of her action. Church, I believe that it's this kind of trust in God. I believe it's this sort of faith that he would have us to place in him this evening. Remember, I said earlier that in order to have faith in God, Rahab had to first lose faith in everything else. Rahab had to lose faith in that branch that she was holding on to. And perhaps that profession of hers, the prostitution, was indeed that branch that she was holding on to. We don't know. The scriptures do go on to tell us, coincidentally in the next chapter, that uh, she actually marries a prince nonetheless and gives birth to, to Boaz and becomes in the genealogy of Christ. So we don't know exactly how that whole story plays out, but we do know that the faith that she placed in God led her to being one of the amazing women and characters of the Bible. Maybe some of us here this evening don't know exactly what that that branch is. We don't know unless we trust him with our lives and that everything else that we do will fail us. Every other branch that we try to hold on to will fail you, I promise, I promise. Even in leading to the destruction of all those things that we hold dear, sometimes we will hold on to that branch rather than putting our faith in the one true God. If God can use a prostitute such as Rahab, church, one love church, I'm here to tell you this evening that God can use you. God can use me. And the scriptures tell us, in fact, that God uses fools like you and I. For the remainder of this month, we're going to go through and study several women throughout the scriptures who stories may shock you a little bit. We're going to spend a lot of time in, in the Old Testament of the, of, uh, the Bible and read some of the, the lesser known women of the Bible. And we're going, to dis, we're going to dive into the things that we can learn from these amazing women of faith. Will you pray with me this evening? Now, God, we we thank you, Lord, for your provision. God, we thank you for what it is that you promise us, God. For your word tells us, Lord, that if we will just profess that you are God, Lord, if we will believe in our hearts, Lord, and profess with our mouths that you are God, that we will be saved. God, we thank you for using a character an unlikely character, Lord, such as, such as Rahab, the prostitute. Lord, to illustrate that to us this evening. God, we thank you for the wake-up call that is realizing that even a woman of this character, God, can display attributes, can display a faith that can move mountains. God, we thank you for her demonstrating that faith by putting it into action, God. And we ask that our lives as a church, Lord, collectively and individuals as members of this congregation, Lord, that we would be found faithful of that same command, God. That we would take the faith that we proclaim and that we have in you and that we would put it in action just as Rahab 
the prostitute. God, be with us for the remainder of this service. We ask that everything that has and everything that does transpire in this place this evening, Lord, would bring glory to you, the God of Rahab, and the God of this city. It's in your name we pray. Amen.